afternoon, folks. Welcome to the podcast, The Lotus Eaters, for Monday, the 28th of August, 2023. I'm joined by Dan and, Hello, boys and girls. distinguished scholar, uh, Dr. Nima Parvini, author of The Populist Delusion and Prophets of Doom. How are you doing? Yes, I'd uh, thank you for having me, Carl. Well, I'd just like to say buy, buy it now. <laughs> <laughs> Available in all good bookstores. <laughs> uh, it's been a long time coming. So it, has, it has. I'm glad you've come on. Um, so just to preface this podcast, we're all uh, hungover and tired because <laughs> we went to the Skildings conference this weekend, and it was brilliant, I thought. What were your opinions on it, folks? Yeah, it was good. Uh, no, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a natural socializer. So I'm going to lock myself in the office and stare at the wall for three days afterwards. But yeah, but yeah, no, it was fun. Yeah, I thought it was great. What did you think? Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's the third year they've run it, and I thought the quality was really high. The, each of the speeches were really sensational this year. I thought, mm. and uh, yeah, it's great to meet people in real life, and uh, we had some fantastic conversations as well mm. outside of the talks. You know. And lots of drinking, lots of drinks, which cigars and things. We're getting we're getting too old for this sort of thing. Um, but anyway, so let's begin. Uh, let's talk about the Dark Lord, the Sauron of our era. His right honourable Sir Tony Blair. Yes, um, he has a plan for Britain. Yes, yeah, so turn us into a cyberpunk dystopia. <laughs> so I mean, you've got this document that we're going to be looking at in a yeah. second, but I think it may be worth. Uh, outlining for the audience, some of the audience who may not know that Tony Blair is not merely the former prime minister. Mm. After, uh, in 2007, he, you know, handed over to Gordon Brown. He didn't go off into the sunset and play golf and kind of put his feet up. He set about immediately uh, building a global network based on the contacts that he had built up as a world premier and set up um, um, uh, charitable institutions, or as we like to call them, NGOs, mm. non-government organizations all around the world, especially in Africa um, and uh, also um, in the Middle East where he was uh, working as a, as a peace envoy to the Middle East, mm. the, the irony. <laughs> I know. Uh, and, um, and also he did con consultancy work for governments around the world. So if you were, I don't know, uh, the president of Kazakhstan, you could hire Tony Blair and he'd come and give you Machiavellian yeah, Well, advice. he would send you a suite of um, spads, basically. Special advisors who would come in and basically tell you what to do and how to do it. Yes, and a few years ago, uh, some of the newspapers kind of latched onto this. They were like, hold on, why, why is the Saudi Arabian government giving Tony Blair millions of pounds? You know, how is Tony Blair like so rich? You know, um, And so what he did is he consolidated all of that network that he's been building up over time into the Tony Blair Institute, which as far as I can Sorry, tell... Sorry, yeah. the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. Yeah, the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change. And as far as I can tell, this has a dual purpose. Uh, the first purpose is to continue the essentially missionary work that he's doing in Africa, um, which has long-reaching consequences. For example, probably a lot of people don't know that during COVID, it was the Tony Blair Institute responsible for rolling out the vaccine all across Africa with funding from the Bill and uh, the Gates Foundation. Melinda Gates Foundation. When you say doing his missionary work, to be clear, the religion is globalism. The reli yeah, yeah, essentially setting up outposts for the global empire yep. in Africa. Um, 
And so it comes with a suite of stuff. So he'll go to an African president, you know, oh, I'll give you advice. My advice is I want you to invest in infra digital infrastructure. Oh, I've got a mate, Bill, or, you know, here are my contacts in Microsoft. They'll come and build your infrastructure mm. for you. We maintain ownership of the data and all of that. But, you know, it would be good for Africa to, you know, join the 21st century. So that's one side of what the Tony Blair Institute uh, does. The other side, as far as I can tell, is that they write um, uh, policy white papers for the British government um, or for politicians in the West and in the EU, but especially in the British establishment. I think when, when we say uh, the British establishment, the British government, uh, people will say, well, hang on a second. Tony Blair was a Labour prime minister. We have conservative prime minister. What yes. are you talking about? To which, uh, for example, T Connor, when he went to the Conservative Party conference last year, saw the Tony Blair Institute for Global Change booth at the Conservative Party conference. Yes, and uh, in fact, I, I watched the Tony Blair Institute uh, event at Chatham House a while back because I we follow him pretty closely. Yeah, and um, who was there? But the foreign, uh, the Secretary of Defence Ben Wallace was there. Um, shortly before Jeremy Hunt became the Chancellor of the Exchequer, remember in that kind of unofficial coup that took place. Yeah. Um, who did Jeremy Hunt interview on his own little podcast mm. with Tony Blair? <laughs> um, so, the, and they were clearly Macy because on the podcast, um, Jeremy Hunt's little son was there and he's like, oh, good to see you again. So they're clearly, I mean, mm. I guess what we're saying is, is that the Tory establishment are um, as kind of uh, fond of Tony Blair as Labour are. And on the Labour side of things, uh, of course, the party was captured by Jeremy Corbyn, but cleaned out by Keir Starmer, he, who's taking direct direction from Tony Blair. I mean, when we say direct direction, like I mean, this, literally. this is documented yeah. that Keir Starmer hired Tony Blair literally to give classes to, to the shadow cabinet. You know, here's how you be new Labour. And just as a quick thing, uh, don't think that this isn't happening in America either, because Tony Blair went to uh, the Conservative Party conference or some GOP conference where he was received like a hero. Absolutely, and in fact, Tony. I mean, this is the the mind and how the man does it. To be honest, the mind-boggling thing. <laughs> Do you remember when Trump made the peace, uh, made the deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia? The oh, he wasn't called. Who did Jared? <laughs> who did Jared Kushner thank for his pivotal role in the Abraham Accords? None other than Sir Tony Blair. Yeah. So when we say this guy is a bit like Emperor Palpatine yeah. from Star Wars, we really mean is that, yeah. I mean, it, here's something that the audience can do, which we have learned to do, whatever the story is, okay? I'll give you a great a recent example, Niger. Whatever, if, if a country comes up, just type in the country's name, Tony Blair or Tony Blair Institute. Mm. Two weeks before the coup in Niger, Tony Blair Institute had moved their bases from Burkina Faso to Niger, their whole operation. So essentially what happened in the coup is that Putin and the lads mm. uh, helped to kick out Tony Blair from Niger. Mm. All so, I'm saying is you can follow this with hashtag Dark Lord Watch on Twitter, uh, where people regularly, whenever Tony Blair is doing something, they just tag hashtag Dark Lord Watch. So you can keep up with uh, what's happening. So I thought what we'd do is take a look at something. Uh, but first, if you want to support us, go to the website, go and watch our new epochs on Attila the Hun. It's not in any way related to Tony Blair. In fact, it's the total opposite style of 
running a kingdom or an empire, uh, and one, frankly, I'd love to return to. Um, but no, Tiller the Hun had a really interesting life and uh, an unapologetic life, I think is the best way I can put it, and is a really interesting character. The fall of the Roman Empire, which uh, actually does kind of mirror the fall of the West at the moment. So anyway, go and watch that. It's excellent. So I found this uh, paper from the Tony Blair Institute, The Future of Britain in 2023, Ideas to Transform the Future of Britain. You excited? <laughs> I'm excited. Well, it's, it's inevitable, Carl. Yeah, it's going to happen. I know, I know. Uh, I can't put it to scroll down on this, so I'll just read from it. So it begins with uh, part two. What, what does Britain need to thrive? And the Tony Blair Institute tells us it needs the, quote, strategic state. Feel good about that? We've gone from the fascist ethical state. That's presupposed. Of course we're ethical. Now we're strategic. Mm. So is, is that just their way of saying managerial? Yes. Uh, right. Yes. This is, this is what they call managerial state themselves. I mean, there's, there's, there's quite a bit more to it. Uh, oh, yeah. where, where Tony Blair says strategic, what he really means is a public-private partnership, which you may have heard from certain uh, yes. Schwab yes. and uh, the World Economic Forum. Where Tony Blair is also a high up, by the way. Oh, I know. And touted to take over from well, the, 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 if fusion of the, big, <laughs> the fusion of the big state and big government is, is uh, not necessarily a new idea. So, yes. so, so well, essentially Blair's, Blair's vision here is he says, well, if you look at a company like Microsoft or Apple, they have trillions, of, like literally billions, if not trillions of dollars in assets. Of, of capital that could be deployed and we don't. Capital that is larger than literally the budget of the British government yeah. or, yep. or of most most nations. Mm. So wouldn't it be nice if they could build some bridges for us or build some infrastructure or digital infrastructure. You know certainly. Well they've got the capital investment yeah. that governments no longer do. So essentially you can do uh change in economics just using them instead of the state's money, essentially. Well, th this this is, of course, the core of this document because, I mean, just to read very quickly from it, the technological revolution is the single biggest force changing the world today, yet with other big periods of upheaval, political leaders and government have been slow to adapt. So you can see the whole framing is, look, there is a managerial technocracy that is taking over the world and it's happening whether you like it or not. So really, we need to be at the forefront of that, controlling that and bringing that into existence or else someone else will control it and it will be us. And that's the entire theme of this document. So we'll go to uh, the next page. So they say, look, this delivering this requires a new vision and framework, including a commitment from the highest political authority to leverage the transformative power of technology for a mid-21st century vision of the state. That's terrifying, isn't it? The highest, I mean, what's the highest authority in Britain? Is it, is it Tony Blair? <laughs> well, that's the thing, I don't know. I mean, but it might be. In theory, yeah. it's the king. Yeah, in, in, maybe yeah, in, yeah. in theory, yeah. Because um, it's interesting, when you hear him talk about um, uh, what he's done in Africa, he, he literally just refers to him as my president. He's, he's quite clear that he ranks higher in the, in, in in the power structure. Mind, at least, yeah. mm. I mean, the, the scariest thing about this, and the thing that I find scary about Blair in general, is that he's building Skynet? He's building the Matrix. Yeah, he is. Here. He is. This is what the and and essentially, as far as I can tell, the government contracts some massive corporate, whether it's Apple or Microsoft or whoever else, could be Elon Musk. You know. Yeah. Um, well, let me let me yeah, carry on a second. So he, the the next thing is far deeper state investment in technological and AI era infrastructure, utilizing cloud and modern software, a more agile, responsive, and targeted 
state in which the citizens have a digital identity and control their data. Mm. You, I mean, do we think that we're really going to be in control of anything here? Do you feel like you're going to have any real agency in this? Well, system? we're not going to own our data, certainly. Well, they, they, they think that you should, actually, which I agree with. I mean, that is nice. But um, I don't think that the, the room for maneuver is going to be very broad. I think yeah. you're going to have a very narrow range of things that you can do. Well, you, you will be able to log on to their system and yeah. see your data, yes. which they are holding on your behalf. And they'll give you a little control panel. Here are the five things you can do. Yeah. Thank you very much. And delete won't be one of them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, a new treatment of data as a comprehensive asset, which can stimulate innovation in health. So they're going to have complete health monitoring of your current... Because, I mean, eventually you'll be chipped and it'll give them full spectrum data on your physical condition. And then when they're finally tired of you, you'll be flushed out of the pod like in the Matrix and put into the liquidizer. Um, I'm not even joking, actually. I think that's genuinely where this is going. Uh, a greater alignment between the government and private sector, here we go, to mobilize effectively behind clear purposes such as around climate. And a greater appetite for risk and innovation. Oh, God, I'm so glad that the managerial technology is prepared to take risks with my life. Uh, with greater expertise uh, from the outside informing direction. So going on to page seven. So they say, look, this is going to be a new national purpose. I didn't realize we had a national purpose. I don't want a purpose. I'm okay at the moment. Thank you. Uh, so they say that uh, science and technology are the driving force of progress for much more modern age. Advances in technology will allow us to live longer, healthier lives, to travel across the world and into space and generate food and energy at scale. The United Kingdom has been at the forefront of many of these breakthroughs. It was home to one of humanity's great leaps, the Industrial Revolution. Another revolution is now taking place with developments in AI, a technology with level of impact akin to the internal combustion engine, electricity, and the internet. So incrementalism will not be enough. You want to make a great leap forward, is yes. what you're saying. Yes. This is precisely <laughs> the language. The state must be reoriented to this challenge. Uh, I mean, I hate to bring up uh, film analogies, uh, you know, mm -hmm. but do you remember one of the Christopher Nolan, I think it was the final one, The Dark Knight? where Batman gains access to all of the mobile phone data and he literally yes. has it all mapped out in front of him. Hmm. And he's like, ooh, I could, I could use this as surveillance. But I'm Batman. This is wrong. I'm not going to do it. These guys in the same scenario are basically going, I'm Batman and I'm evil. Yeah. So Batman, I'm going to do it. Just like, let's do it. Let's, yep. make, let's build the... I, I don't think they had that question for themselves. They, did, they, did, they didn't stop and ponder. They just moved straight through that. Uh, no, they watched that and thought, that was a great idea. But there, there's a second film, which probably people won't remember, back in the 90s, back in the very early days of the internet. It was called The Lawnmower Man. Oh, I remember. Do you remember, do you remember that? Yeah. And do you remember The Lawnmower Man disappears into the, into the web, essentially? Mm. But do you remember what happens? Access denied. Access That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 you didn't say the magic word. And this is the thing that is so worrying about mm -hmm. this. It's like, okay, yes, convenience. Yes, you know, all your stuff is there at a touch of a button. Until you have been determined to be an undesirable no, and... You've done yeah. wrong things. Well, that, that, that's why they want to own the digital infrastructure because everything connects to it. So there will be no access to denied because it will be their system. And, yeah, but until they choose, you don't get access. Oh, yeah. Right. yeah. Then, and then the entire system being so interconnected They'll only need to press one button and everything that you do on your daily basis will be completely shut down. Well, and also they can customise it. They can set up a whole bunch of permission flags. Which, yeah, um, we, and we have already had a social credit system in and, this country. And they'll do that with the digital uh, money. It'll literally come to this money isn't, you can't spend this money in an unapproved zone. That's what's going to happen. I, I'm not exaggerating, but like you could become like a 
carbon criminal. For yes. example, like yeah. you have gone beyond your carbon allocation for the year. Yeah. And then just, I mean, we're not even exaggerating, just like the Soviet Union where the ruling class would get special perks and privileges that didn't, you know, uh, mm. proletariat had a different set of rules from the ruling class, you know, we're pretty sure that Sertoni is not going to be a carbon criminal, you know. Probably uh, not. Yeah. So they, they say that uh, our priorities for reform include strengthening the Office for Artificial Intelligence so that it provides better foresight function and better support for government to deal with technological change, creating Sentinel, a national laboratory effort focused on researching and testing safe AI with the aim of becoming the brain for a UK and international AI regulator, building AI-era infrastructure, including compute capacity, remodeling data as a public asset, with the creation of highly valuable public good data sets. So you're not even going to own it. The government's going to own your data. Well, what he's really saying there is, is this is going to be an expan- a sub- substantial area of growth. Yeah. Make sure you build in the state as you go, and this is how you do it. Yes, but... Uh, and then requiring a tiered access approach to compute provision under which uh, access to larger amounts of compute comes with additional requirements to demonstrate responsible use and securing multi-decade investment in science and technology infrastructure, et cetera, going into the future. So he, he wants to set up a centrally managed government-run AI brain that is presumably going to be tasked with running the functions of government. It's going to be running the NHS, it's going to be running the budgets is going to be running whatever the government currently runs. And they literally called it Sentinel. Do you think they... Yeah, I mean, it's like they're writing a dystopian yeah. sci-fi movie or something. Yeah. Because you can imagine... I mean, it, I'm like immediately when you said, oh, we're going to create Sentinel, I'm thinking of like Hal from 2000 yeah, yeah, Space Odyssey. Yeah. I mean, sorry about all the film references, but, no, no, but it really is... Yeah. Uh, this really is what this is. Well, well, all, mind, all, all dystopia you know? really is, is imagine a utopia and then think about the steps that you need to take in order to get there. And, and the, these are the steps. Yeah. But is any, I mean, my question is, my, I'm, I remember whenever I've watched Blair with the guys from Microsoft and so on, mm. is there a voice there saying, what could this, go wrong? Yeah. What yeah. could go wrong? Yeah. Is there a voice in this document saying, what could go wrong? What are the downsides? No, it's just, this is inevitable. So, I mean, they've got a bunch of proposals. So they want to uh, centralize all of the pensions into one savings pot. Why not? Um, they want to reform planning to build more critical infrastructure faster, which includes a national process for consent for national infrastructure projects. So it's impossible to think that at some point the British public won't be able to say no, will be able to say no. Like, right, we want to build this giant central AI grid across the UK. Uh, we don't consent. Yeah, we don't care. That's not going to stop. We already signed the contract with Apple. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Defining onshore wind and digital connectivity as critical infrastructure. Onshore wind. I mean, nuclear power plants. Anyway, uh, using the power of AI and digital twins to accelerate consultation planning and build. So basically, put it into the computer. This is what we want. The computer will give you a white paper at the end of it. And you just press the appropriate button. And the computer will say, yep, we'll get all those contracts sent out. That will all be done. And you will have to do very minimal work as the person in charge, Mr. Blair, Sir Blair. Uh, He wants to introduce a digital identity for a digital age. Government should deliver a single digital identity, giving users visibility of and control over when and how their data is accessed and used, utilizing a decentralized model without creating a new central database that could be vulnerable to hacking or leaks. Uh, Okay, yeah, I'll believe when I see it. Well, that was his one great defeat of his years in power, the IDs. Yeah. 
yeah, well, and decentralization was a big thing as well, but that's gone poorly, hasn't it? Um, and allowing people to use their digital identity to access commercial goods and services as well as government services, which, I mean, that is just the worst, isn't it? Do we think well, it's, it's Mark of the Beast, isn't it? Is yes. It? Do we think Tommy Robinson's getting a digital ID? Do we think he's going to be able to get flights wherever he wants? I mean, they literally deported him from a holiday in Mexico. Like, this is, and that, that just required his old fashioned passport. It's I just want to back up a second. I was a little bit worried about the consolidation of all the pensions. And what, yeah, well, I, uh, I mean, this could be coming to a state near you, you know. Yeah. British pen, British pensions, hashtag, managed by BlackRock, you know. Because that's what it would be. Well, that's, yeah. I mean, they might manage loads of pensions anyway, but that's exactly what it's going to be. And the reason that he gives for wanting to um, create, I mean, <laughs> literally it's called GB Savings One. It's not even called the National Pension or something. It's GB, GB Savings, Savings One. one. A four hundred billion pound super fund in order to be able to more effectively reinvest the pension money. So it's it's all pure managerialism. But it, but it's essentially saying we've run out of money and therefore we are going to take yours. We're just going to put a gloss on it. Yeah, it's it's, it's just yeah. stealing. And and that is yeah. why I've never put money into a pension because I've always found it ludicrous that at some point before I hit sixty five, it won't be stolen. Oh yeah, and oh. and this is this is it happening it now. But they are all. I mean, to be clear, they are also then, and it will be somebody like BlackRock, even if it isn't then, it probably will be, to be honest, because they do pensions. Yeah. They will then be, I mean, deciding, well, we need to put it into these kind of climate change friendly areas, or we need to put yeah. it into this woke organization. Mm. And this is how they end up getting funding for all their stuff because mm. they're controlling what is effectively your money. Mm. They're investing it on your behalf. How about an NHS that's not focused on health? Uh, it's not focused on just illness, sorry, it's focused on health. So the NHS will be concerned about your weight, for example. They'll be monitoring that, presumably, with the chip in your skin and your digital identity. Um, giving each person their own personal health account, delivered through the NHS app, and owned by the individual. It was, I love the owned by the individual, yet yeah, through their structure, through their infrastructure. Like, yeah, but the clue's, the clue's in the name. is the NHS app. It's not your data. Exactly. You didn't make the app. You've got no control yeah. of where the, the information goes. You'll, you just sign in. You can just view it. Yeah, exactly. You can just view it. Uh, developing a new NHS uh, cloud structure, so all the health data is set, held centrally uh, within the existing systems, and turning the genomic medicine service into a fully-fledged part of the health system, providing whole genome sequencing to all patients and supporting the move to prevention, well-being, and personalized care. So we've mapped your personal genome we know what likely is to come up in your life as a health condition, and we're prepared for that. And what I'm seeing what here could is go like wrong. your phone is going to be like, uh, yep. do you really want that McDonald's? You want to think again? Because uh, we know. It'll be nudge at first. It'll be nudge at first. But then it'll say, no, you've, you've exceeded your calorie allowance for today. You can't have that. That's what it will come and to. It'll, and you'll... Because you'll be paying through your phone, and it'll say no. It'll this like access denied. Too many carbon credits. You can't. Yeah. yeah. Too too much health credit. You, you, it, this is the future that Tony Blair is building for us. Um, but of course, we're all going to have a quality education. Of course, uh, powered by tech, establishing a digital learner ID that would contain all the educational information, enabled, enabling a personalized education for every child, increasing patient uh, parent choice and access to quality education by giving schools the freedom to provide hybrid lessons and parents the right to request online classes delivered by other schools and overhauling Ofsted so that accountability is based on real-time insights geared towards a continuous improvement of standards. 
I've got no doubt that the standards just go through go through the roof. Well, they're, they're, they're talking about you know freedom and choice, but what they're actually saying is we're, we're going to credentialize very, it. Yes. So you're going to have freedom within the narratives which we have selected for you. Yeah, you've got a very narrow range of freedoms. You can have options one, two, or three. Yeah. I mean, Enjoy. it's not going to be a Jordan Peterson lecture. That yeah. Way. No. no. Exactly. Or one of yours. Yeah. Or yeah. one of mine. Yeah. It's it's not going to be anything like that. And of course, uh, they're going to bring about safer communities. They're going to put prevention at the heart of policing. Yeah, okay. This, and what, what I love about this bit is very, um, I would say, value-free, but it doesn't consider the ideology of the people involved in the system at all. Um, they're going to put prevention at the heart of policing. That's racist. Uh, develop modern and flexible workforce that will be uh, diverse. Uh, good luck catching those criminals, ladies. Uh, embedding a new focus on professional standards and responsiveness. Oh, yeah. Uh, establishing a new national force to tackle threats that fo uh, cross force boundaries and require a strategic response encompassing counterterrorism, serious organized crime, and cybercrime, and using technology more intelligently to prevent criminality, including digital identity to tackle online fraud and an expansion of facial recognition technology. Aren't you just so glad to be living in the future? You see, the thing is, is that, you know, to, just to put a counterfactual in here. Mm -hmm. All of this stuff is bad if it's run by our enemies. I mean, all of this stuff is probably bad if it's run by us. But I could live with it if it was run I, by us. If it was truly value free, for example, this is the kind of base day I. I Look, there I, is no truly if, value. If it was free, Mecha it's our values. If it was Mecha Bentham Carl. Oh, God. Right. <laughs> We're not. I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine what a completely value free facial recognition technology? You're like, oh, we've recognized this typical criminal looks like. So the, you understand what the, I'm yeah. saying? The, the you know? Phrenologist AI. <laughs> that, that, that has already happened. So this is the yeah, uh, has, this, yeah. this is the West Safer City rollout. And whenever they've done a trial, they've done effectively what you've said, and then scrapped it because it's racist. <laughs> so it could be that. It could be. I'm just saying. How that. did the AI turn out to be a bunch of old white racists? <laughs> Yeah, we just need yeah. to turn down the pattern recognition a bit. <laughs> I mean, there is there is this kind of weird alternative universe where digital ID actually completely solved illegal immigration, yeah. <laughs> reduces crime to almost zero. It's not going to happen. But anyway, moving on. So they've got a decade of electri electrification. Of course, everything they want, and they literally say all cr crucial infrastructure. They want it all to be done by renewable electrical generation. Now that you might think, hang on a second, what's wrong with that? Well. It can be turned off, right? When your car is full of fuel, that can't be turned off. The electricity board can be denied to you from your chip. Uh, everything will be literally triangulated in an insanely complex system that can be triangulated exactly on you at all times. Uh, that's why that's bad. And of course, the final thing is they want a better relationship with the EU, which basically means voluntarily, voluntar voluntary alignment with EU regulations on goods and regulatory equivalents of sanitary and phytosanitary measures. So basically, whatever the European Union says and does, we're going to make sure that we do it because we want it to be part of the European Union anyway. Uh, so, so all of this is moving the decisions as far away from the populace as possible. Yes. We don't want them to have any delusions. Yeah. And then, and then we're going to say that they're free. Yes. They're free to choose uh, from what we offer. a range of options that are never going to change. Mm. And po well, possibly they'll be restricted. But uh, yeah. This is the true rule by the managerial expert class. Yes. This is, this is, this is the full spectrum uh, managerial cyber technocracy. Mm. It's literally being laid out by the Tony Blair Institute. And I think that they're serious about it. 
So uh, prepare yourselves for the future because the Dark Lord Tony Blair is probably going to bring it about. It, it's uh, it's actually there. There was a book called the new uh, the new Utopia or U- <laughs> Utopia by uh, so sick of uh, word Utopia. I know. Um, oh, it was Francis Bacon wrote a Utopian book. I forget the name of it now. Uh, where he was lit- it literally called Utopia? Uh, but he literally, I mean, Francis Bacon literally imagined <clears throat> this kind of totalitarian island that was being run by a scientific managerial expert class. Yeah, right. And in a weird way. That, that, that's like basically the next Labour Party manifesto, that. I mean, they've just. I mean, uh, this is literally Plato's they re- Republic. They've recreated it. This, yeah. this is literally what this is, we're looking at. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, so get ready. It's coming. Um, be prepared. So I was thinking, while we've got a couple of uh, big brains in the room, Let's solve the incel problem, shall we? Small thing. <laughs> yes, just a little thing. Because this sort of thing comes up every now and again. And whenever I look at the comments, I'm always being told that, um, you know, that you don't understand, Dan, that the, the dating scene today is absolutely cancerous. Probably is. Yeah, well, yeah, possibly. But I thought, you know, that, that's a bit of cope. So what I did is I set myself up with a Tinder profile and I thought I would, I would investigate. <laughs> your wife was thrilled with that. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, darling, well, I'm just investigating the dating world. She, she, she's, she's used to me by now. But uh, yeah, uh-huh. so I, I, I set myself up. I, I, I went to the effort of writing myself a nice uh, profile as well. So I, mean, I, I took the whole thing sort of incredibly uh, so seriously. I'm a dissident rights content creator committed yeah. to the overthrow of the globalist managerial, managerialist parasite class for, for return to more traditional values. Yeah. I require intelligent conversation and not a fat. Yes. <laughs> Once won a who would you wed competition against every man who ever lived. Yes. Uh, while, ho- while hoping not to put you off, but giving uh, women the vote was probably a civilizational level mistake. Six foot two, blue eyes, bit of podge, British teeth. Yeah. So, so, so that's that, a strong opener. I'm saying, I, I, yeah, no, I, I, I thought that was good. And, I mean, and, if you're a woman on a dating app, you're going, like, okay, well, at least yeah. I remember this guy. Yes, and 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 the bit it's not bit, a Dino. The bit at the end, you know, yeah. that you know, we let, let's let's uh, you know, yeah. we're giving the women the vote was a mistake. Uh, that's very important. That's called a neg. Oh, so yeah. you, you've got you've got to give a neg, yeah. and um, apparently that's that's how it for, works. For anyone watching, we're all married, and we've been married yes. not to each other. Uh, <laughs> yes. We're all married to our wives. We all have kids. <laughs> uh, we've been married for years, and I mean, I it, it was probably two thousand and nine was the last time I looked at a dating site called Plenty of Fish. Uh, I, I kind of missed the whole... Uh, yeah, but yeah, even like, then, that was like, I never had any success there. I always had success yeah. with women in real life. They're, you know, that's how I'm... Well, actually- in order to make the, the experiment viable, we also got one of the lovely Lotus ladies in the office to also sign up for account at the same time. Right. And we thought, basically, we'd see, you know, what happens. Are we going to get a disparate experience? I think I can predict the results here. Well, you say that, you see, because, uh, you know, we, we set it up at the end of the day and um, he- headed off home. And basically, after, after two hours, I got, I, got a, I got a ping. Oh, really? Yes. So, so I got my first hit and I thought, well, so this, there, this is good. There we go. That's, uh, that's my, my one like has come through. So there was a lady who was like, you know, what? I do hate votes for women as well. Yeah, or, 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 or reading, you know, it's, it's, it's yeah. one of the two. Yeah, but um, but yeah, I'm a global journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step yeah. and, and minor comfort. So, got in touch with a lovely Lotus lady to say, okay, had a hit. Where are you at this point? Do you want to guess? That's like three hundred or something. Next slide. There we go. Oh god, <laughs> two, li- this is literally <laughs> after two hours. Yeah, two hundred thirty-seven likes. Um, yes. Now, don't don't feel too bad for me because uh, come the following day, I did get a four hundred percent increase in my likes, and she only got an eighty five percent increase in her likes. To be fair, though, there's a lot of room for improvement on your one. Yes, I've got one. Yes, she's got 
237. Well, I, 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 yeah, so I, I, was, I was hoping not to, not to make that connection. But, but, but yes, yes. So and, but then, right, so then the experiment ended because uh, she got blocked. Yeah, she got she got blocked the following day, and I think it was because because we didn't we didn't want to have to sit there and go through them right. manually, so we paid the fifteen pounds in order to 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 see straight through, and I, I think they were so put off by a woman actually paying for dating, that they thought that she was a fake and they kicked her off. Really? <laughs> yes. Who, who, who tendered it? Yes. Oh right. Yeah, they, they they blocked her out, so that so that didn't work. But you're not a real woman because you paid tender money. Yes. That's an amazing algorithm they've got going on there. Yeah, it's, it's 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 probably true most of the time. Oh, though. I don't I, doubt that. I, I would true. imagine, but uh, yeah, it, it makes it. I mean, can you imagine make... the tender office? Hang on, hang on there's, a, there's a woman who's paid. What? No, there hasn't. That's not never happened. Yeah, that, that's that's not happening. Oh, that's a spam. You know. <laughs> I mean, one of the things I'm fascinated by is that I wonder if we workshopped your intro a little bit, would it change? Like you know, rather than I am a dissident, right? I mean. I am a sensible centrist committed to right. traditional uh, English gentleman. Yeah, or you know, yes. if you just ch- finesse the language a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Or at, and I'd be also be interested in a version which is, I am committed to social justice. I love feminism type thing to see yeah. to see yeah, which yeah. one would play. Best. Well, I, actually, so so th- this is this is the interesting point that she made. she made a number of interesting points. And the first thing is a lot of people they always blame the women on these dating sites for their preferences and about how they're sort of seeking out the top tier men. And that, that's always the sort of the standard pushback and stuff. But she, she made a very reasonable point. If I've got four hundred people who are who, who have like me, well, of course I'm going to be picky. I mean, yeah. a, a, anyone would be. So you, you can completely understand the dynamic of, of of how it works. And the other thing I'm thinking is, you know, from from the guy's perspective, because when we were when we were in the dating market, basically uh, pulling required going to the pub and being the best choice within the pub mm. that could still stand yeah. at two a.m. And and often like the, those choices were quite narrowed down for you. Yes. I mean, a lot of the men in the pub would be there with their wives or girlfriends. Yeah. So so the point is, if you went to the pub often enough. You would be the best choice sooner or later. Yeah. Whereas in Now's world, you you basically need to be the best option within a twenty six mile radius out of hundreds and hundreds of eligible men who are already showing yeah. their interest, uh, who have all who've already got their sort of photos up. So so they they don't take a day off, they don't sleep. You know yeah. the pro, the profile is always there. It's a bit it's a bit bloody harder to um to stand out in that yeah. situation. I don't envy that at all. Yeah. So uh, this tweet makes makes a good point. A, f- a friend of yours, uh, Nemas. Um. <laughs> So, what? Just as a brief thing, I don't know who this person is, but I've seen you talking about them. Why? Why don't you like? Uh, I do. Uh, what, I mean, what, does like st- what does RFH? What does RFH stand for? I, I can't. I can't. I don't, I, I'm not sure if I can say on air. Oh, Rad right. Femme, and then the name of a famous mid-century German. Oh, oh really? The, the, a painter. Yeah. Painter. Yeah. Yes. Oh, right, um, okay. F- failed painter, I believe. Um, yeah. I mean, she's a an interesting hollow earth turf. She, she is entertaining. Generally speaking, you know. Yeah. A dissident, but she's also a radical feminist. <laughs> a dissident for what? She's also a radical right. feminist. That's a um, that's an interesting. And um, yeah. I mean, okay. we, even though a lot of our a lot of our friends block her, I I have an interest in. How could you block such an entertaining looking profile? I, I just think she's really okay. Let me. She's really good at Twitter. She right. just. Right. She just nice. You know, like how I say Ash Sakar is like objectively yeah, yeah, good at Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, she is also objectively good yeah. at. Riling up the yeah, riling getting up the, the lads. Farming she, well, well, she, yeah. she she makes a good point here. She says that eighty five percent of the UK's dating app users is male. Yes, yes, which yeah. really highlights the issue, doesn't it? It's yes. a, a lot of very thirsty men and a, a much smaller pool of thirsty women 
yeah. are given a much greater, uh, like our lady was saying, it's much easier to be picky when you've got hundreds in a couple of hours to the other guy's got one. Well, yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's a bit like trying to pull at the event that we've just come from. I mean, there was a disco on the second night, but um, it was... Um, yeah, mostly male. W- would have been rather, rather slim pickings, which is all leading to... Um, have we got the next one? But, but, yeah. Sorry, can we go back to that? Oh, just go a on. quick thing. Right. So I, I, I agree actually completely with this uh, comment she's made. Your dating app data doesn't mean anything, by the way. Dating apps are anywhere between two-thirds to 90% male. Women don't like dating apps, and the user experience was designed around gay men, not straight women. Oh, that's totally true. Straight women don't tend to use dating apps. It's the you know the minority who want to go and hook up with some ultra hot guy that they can be totally picky about. That's mm-hmm. so you know that that you don't find a woman on a dating app. It's just a rule of thumb. And I think I think it's worth pointing out that the reason that I am more tolerant of this of this woman. Is because from a certain point of view, she just tells basic truths yeah. to the kind of trad larp crew. The, you know, basic truths. About- the, the, the basic truth under there. I'm so shocked to learn that women don't like the dial a uh, app and that it's filled <laughs> with men. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Like it's again, it doesn't. It's not very deep insight, but it's obviously true. Yeah, quite. Well, what this is leading to is. Uh, Where's the next uh, chart? Are we going to pull that? This, the, the, yeah, this chart is basically showing the um, rise of incels. Yeah. So it's basically men under 30 who have had zero sexual uh, partners. Um, and um, well, we, yeah, 2018 is when the data stops, and it was a, it was a third then. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that was pre-COVID, uh, mm-hmm. where basically the only option you had were these, were these dating apps. So that must, be, you know, that must be significantly higher at this point. Probably, yeah. I can't imagine it's gone down. I mean, this suggests to me, I mean, I remember reading a fascinating book uh, years ago called The Evolution of Everything by Matt Ridley. Now, I probably disagree with most of the things he says in that because he says that everything's bottom up and I say everything's top down. But a really interesting chapter in that book about the rise of monogamy and why monogamous religions won out over uh, polygamous ones, like where you've got the sultan with Mm. the harem. And his basic point is that in that scenario, um, you've got a huge number of men locked out of the sex market because they're all with the Sultan. They're all part of the harem. Yes. Okay. Um, and eventually what happens is, is that the sex starved men start getting violent essentially. Yeah. Right. So the, you know, well, the, because, uh, because marriage is basically domesticating a man. So, so if you have, if you have a look at what happened in Middle Eastern cultures, you, you kept on having these uprisings against the sultan because he was monopolized him and his family were just, just monopolizing sex just love the idea of like a 14th century incel uprising it's the sultan and his mm. eunuchs i mean i'm not making this up. i know well, I, I know it's so, really so, funny. i mean this is a point i was going to come to later yeah. but but basically what we're going to get is we are seeing an oversupply of incels and then later on we're going to see an oversupply of spinsters yes so exactly. you know yes. what what does that do to a society when you've got all of that sort of um well, as you said, the, the raw male energy with no outlet on one side and, and, and spinsters a few I mean, years later. It, it, in a way, when the left are worried about the quote-unquote incel problem, it is, a legi- it is actually oh, legitimate yeah. because you have all of this pent-up energy and it's got nowhere to go. But also, right? also there's a fundamental um, unfairness about it as well, right? It's not the fault of these young men that women aren't interested in. They didn't create the system. They didn't set the scene. They grew up in a world that was 
radically against them and in favor of the sort of promiscuous Tinder using. Uh, what's very interesting is that one figure we should mention talking about the Sultan hmm. is that there's the rise of a kind of new Sultan. Like that's what Andrew Tate is. He's an unofficial <laughs> yes. modern day Sultan who is monopolizing hmm. women. And, and so his message is, yeah. and the, the message of people like him is, well, listen, it doesn't take much to stand out in this market. You know, yeah. you might you might as well make hay while the sun shines. Yeah, um, you, you know, uh, so that's what that's one message that gets out there. But of course, it exacerbates the problem because the more Andrew Tates there are, the higher that percentage of incels goes up because he they are monopolizing more and more of the market. So it's uh, mm. kind of interesting dynamic yeah. playing out. It's also interesting that there is a eunuch class coming into being as well. Which um, yes. I, I remember reading something about this a while ago. Like essentially, every era of history has got the way of making the eunuchs, and it's like that's weird. That can't be true. And then you look around now, and you're thinking, well, It'd be careful on that. We all knew. Well, I won't. Go, I won't go yeah. very much further. But uh, it, you know, what I'm saying is, it's, it's they could create right. the unsullied. Maybe yeah. they'll be yes. like a real life Daenerys who uh, yeah, needs happening. If if that's what it takes. Yeah. And, and the flip side of this is let's go to the uh, let's go to Chris's let's go to Chris's tweet if we can call that up yeah so um, it's 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 the, basically the approach thing Chris Williamson yeah so so this is pointing out that you know fifty five percent of single men say that they haven't approached a woman in the last year well yeah. no no wonder you're bloody incel then well yeah but I mean the, the there are all kinds of civilizational incentives against doing it oh yeah oh yeah so um but. I, 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 I'll run through the stats because they're quite relevant. He's saying so 70% of young women under 30 are basically saying that they wished that they were approached more. Yeah. Whereas when you get over 40 with women, it flips. And now the majority of them say that they don't want to be approached. Because yeah, they're married. Yeah. So you, you've got this curious dynamic where female nature is basically requiring um, men to make the first move. Yeah. They, they want uh, overwhelmingly, 86% of them say they, they want men to make the first move. But you've set up this, this um, culture with, with all of the sort of, well, you've, you've got the Me Too, the Gillette ad. Um, I, think, I think it's more than that as well, though. Uh, there, is, there is obviously all of that where it's a cultural, a feminist cultural inclination to try and get men to actually stop uh, approaching women. But also, as the balance of power has shifted, Women now are the better educated, they're the better employed, they have more material wealth, and they have systems that are loaded in their favor. And so this all works against the courage of men and the self-confidence of men, because a young man can't say, yep. well, I've got a great job, I've got a great education, at least I'm physically an impressive person in myself. Well, that, that's another one of the paradoxes, is as you go up the educational strata for women, yeah. they find it harder and far harder to find a male partner. Yes. Um, so college educated women, yeah, they, yeah. Th much more of them are single because they can't find somebody who meets their standards. So I'm not necessarily saying stop educating women. I'm just saying no, that no. if we were to do that, they would be happier. And, and, and young men would also be happier. I, I, I actually, um, one, a friend of mine that I know, that I've known since my school days, get married later this year, which obviously meant we went on a stag do, right? Mm -hmm. So earlier this year, I went to Magaluf. Can you imagine me? Not really, why, actually. I, I can't. Why I bought my, that's why I had the Hawaiian shirt, because I went to. And uh, how, how was it? Um, well, I actually saw an example of this up close because me and my 40, like all of us lads in our, who are literally 40 years old, Married with kids, you yeah. know, and a bit, uh, well, you can see, you know, yeah. past our peaks. Body, body positive. But, but past our peaks, dad bods or whatever. Yeah. We, we were out, you know. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but of course, we we remember, we just reverted to doing what we did when we were 18. We were out, you know, it was Magaluf. 
Yeah. And um, when we were in this little club there, um, a group of uh, Zuma lads walked in. They must have been about 18, 19. Mm. Now, now, bear in mind, we're in Magaluf. There are women everywhere. They're drunk and they're in Magaluf. And, you know. If you can't okay. score here, you can't but, score. Right. And literally, these five lads walked in. They bought, uh, they bought like a bottle of thingy. They sat around the table. And they, it, they just went on their phones. And honestly, right. two hours, they were just on all of them sitting quietly on their phones as I watched my old school friends dominate the dance floor yeah. and basically hoover up the attempt. I mean, they didn't do anything. Sure, sure. They yeah. committed uh, sure, men. They probably still danced. What I'm saying is they dominated, the, they dominated the attention yeah. of the girls that those guys, mm. you know, if that was us yeah. back when we were 18... They would have been because we're not off. we're not we're not afraid of approach. That's it. we don't have we haven't had that beaten out of us. You, I don't know. Yeah. It's like when when you were that age, but we, we, when I used to walk into a bar, with my mates, we basically walk through the door, just go like that, and maybe see each other once or twice again through the through the rest of the night, just interacting with people in the club. I mean, I, I don't want to get into tactics where yeah. you know you, you send in the hot one to wing mates, sure. you know, but, yeah. but the. the but the point is, these young men had no confidence to not even approach a woman, but to enjoy themselves. Not, in a not, bar. Even, to, not even to talk to each other or dance. Yeah. They would just, oh, right, yes. They would just, literally just interact. They would, yes. They were like, just on their phones. Because this is the thing. Like, okay, you can, you know, there are various things, but like just having uh, a, guys, a group of guys standing around talking and having fun is an attractive thing mm. for, because, and this, this is, you know, I'm not much of a dancer, but what me and my mates used to do, just go to a pub or a club and just, we just enjoy ourselves with each other, have a laugh, you know, mm. fool around. And then like, you know, a couple of women on the peripheral, someone will start talking to one. And so well, they, if, if they see you having fun, you seem like a fun person to talk to. Exactly. And yeah. so they want to talk to you. And so suddenly now you are talking to women without really having done anything than just enjoyed yourself. Mm. And these lads, and I've, I've seen it before as well. But you know, when you go into a pub or something, you just sat there on the phone. It's like, you've got no options here. Mm. But, but also you've got no chance. When you're doing that, you're basically taking yourself out of, the game as it were yeah and the, and the thing is is that in an environment like that in, in a way andrew tate is right it's not that hard to to stand out you know mm. and and in, in many cases all it is is like job presentability and a bit of confidence you didn't you don't even yeah. you don't even need to be like but but the, but the whole thing that we're talking about the making the approach it has been beaten out of young men through the things i talked about the me too the jet ladder all that kind of stuff and actually I'll, I'll give you i'll give you an anecdote um it's quite awful actually but um there, there was a company that i wasn't involved in but a mate of mine was on the board of this company and and they basically had a guy um speak to one of the girls and just say oh would, would you like to get a drink sometime a perfectly normal approach she kicked up a fuss went to hr they looked at it and said oh come on yeah, There's this, 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 this was a mild, no. polite response. But then what happened is the management were, were about to go, yeah, fine, we're just, we're just not this one back. And then they said, oh, hang on a minute. This department is a little bit overstaffed and employment law is a right ball ache. Right. We've got a free pass here. Yeah. And then they thought, yep, we'll do it. So they binned him, but basically to bypass employment law on, on, on the whole issue. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I will say probably don't, Try it on with anybody at work, then. Yeah. In that case. yeah. But another part of this, though, as well, is that one thing you quickly learn, especially as a young man, right, as a young when you're 18, 17, 18, 19, is that you are going to get knocked back a lot. Oh, yeah. Right. Mm. And I mean, I remember I had a friend, his tactic for the night was basically ask every girl, ask every single girl, and one will say yes. Yeah. Right. Eventually, one will say yes. And he's like, well, he doesn't care. You know, and he's ridiculous, girl. but it works. Right. But yeah. that, that was, yeah. and that he had like, you know, a lot of success 
quote yeah. unquote, with that with that sort of thing. But in our day, they didn't call the but police after the third one. But even even if you even if it's not in a nightclub setting, just like asking a girl you quite like out for a drink, mm. you have to be prepared that she's going to knock you back and not let that crush you. And, well, and often, no. and, and this, I, I post these on Twitter quite often where it's some woman being like, men don't even pursue anymore. What's going on? You say no, and then they never talk to you again. I, I see a lot of those tweets. It's, it's basically along the lines of, I said no to a guy. Why isn't he pursuing me? Yeah, because a lot, a lot of, uh, but, but again, this is not something I can advise you to ever do because it's very contextual. You know, it depends on how she says no to you. And the whole thing's kind of a test of your resolve, actually. Yeah. But I, you know, in the modern era, you can't really advise on that. So if a woman says no, just leave it there. But the, I mean, <laughs> without going into really yeah. advanced tactics, I mean, if you can, I mean, you can also start going a little gamey, where it's like, yeah. well, you throw. She expects you, you. You get a bit flirty, whatever. You should expect you to ask her out, mm. and then you don't do the thing. And she, you kind of knock her off balance a bit. Mm. And I mean, in my experience, they'll just ask you out eventually. Just be like, they'll ask you out, you know. Or they'll, they'll yeah. at least like they'll send like like my wife sent a friend with her number to, to yeah. me. I mean, they'll let you know if they like. Yeah, you they, they'll let you know. Yeah. But yeah. You, you've got to you've got to show that the interest is there, right? Women get better at that as as they get older. So sort of the over forty women are, are not shy in the slightest right. of, of sort of letting themselves be known. But the younger women, they they kind of don't really know how to do that apart from like sending a friend over. But yeah, yeah, they they struggle with this. So um. Effectively, I've I've got a meme which we're 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 flipped through. So it's, it's it's basically this. This is this is what's happening. Is that it's the older women they don't like to be approached, and they're you know sort of force feeding the feminism on on young women. So I will then jump to our our plug for this episode, which is going to be the um, the evil origins of feminism. So I mean, you on that one? What was I am? Uh, this is <clears throat> excuse me. This is Connor and I. Because Con- Connor um, has a particular uh, academic hatred. For the uh, original feminists, and he yeah. has been through for, for his degree. He went through all of this stuff and had to read it all. Um, oh, I, I, I read most of it for fun, but he's he's a he's got a really in depth uh, view of it all. And so we went through it, and just he just takes it apart expertly because this has obviously been just a kind of a real bugbear for him. Mm. And that's why we did part two of it because we did this part one that was really good. And I was like, oh, brilliant, Connor, and you know all that. So I had to do it for my degree, and he was like, no, there's more. And so I won't, I won't spoil any of it, but yeah. uh, definitely worth the time, this one. So that's worth checking out. So I'm going to end on this paper where we've got the, um, this is from, is it Rob? Rob Henderson did this, uh, oh, you've got to play past that. Yeah, so, so he, he did this interesting thing. It's full of, it's full of um, stats and so on, which I don't think we can, re- we can really get into now, but I, I'll just pick out one or two that I thought were interesting. Mm. Um, the, the striking one for me is that um, one in six young men are single, but about one in four uh, women are. So, so basically, what's happening is they are sharing high-status men. Right. They are getting they are getting double timed, and I, I, th- I think on some level they must know, but they're but they're but they're kind of they're kind of happier with that rather than lowering their standards. It's the Sultan effect, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you already talked about. So, but again, what that's going to lead to is spinsters. Yeah, armies and armies of spinsters yeah, in yeah. the future. Mm-hmm. Um, we've already touched on the higher expectation point um, about how basically if you if you educate women too much, they can't. They can't find a man, and they become unhappier over the long term. Yep. Mm. Uh, the political division one—that's quite interesting as well. So that's um, basically pointing out that um, people are becoming less and less tolerant, of particularly the left, of dating somebody outside of their sphere. You know, I'm I'm skeptical of this one because of the uh, stupid, sexy Republicans meme, and there are lots yeah. of left-wing women who I, 
Oh. Yeah, but they're, they're being they're, tw- they're 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 forcing themselves into it. Yeah, but 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 I think there are a lot of them who like do find the MAGA guys sexy. These Democrat women, you know, yeah. some big MAGA chud, and they they just. I I think that if given uh, enough time in a bar together, I think that'd solve itself. I I think there's just to go back to old fashioned economics a minute, Dan. The difference between stated and revealed preference yeah. on this one is, but yeah. I mean. It's yeah. very different, as re- I'm sure we all know. Yeah. I remember an article a while ago that I think we covered this. Why can't I stop having sex with Republican men? <laughs> it was just like, well, there's a revealed <laughs> preference right there, isn't there? It was, it was very I, exciting. I, I also think that, I mean, I don't know if, you, if he has this stat there, but you know there's that stat of the boys are getting more conservative and girls yes. are getting more liberal. Yeah. Yeah. I actually think that, speaking just, you know, objectively, mm. women at some level, want male attention yes they want okay this is just a kind of hardwired thing yeah. and i think the women on that graph are a lagging indicator that eventually the male attention yes they'll start saying and doing things to get because if most yeah. of the boys are conservative yeah they're gonna have to appeal to them because they are the boys and it's by a factor of two to one as well so if like eight percent of women are more liberal but like 20 percent of men are conservative and and they will bend they will, oh, yeah. they will I, bend to your, your worldview over time. Yeah, I mean, my I, wife was a lefty because, well, basically young women are. Yeah. When I met her, not anymore. And, and this is something that I think a lot of commentators always miss. Like, mm. Do you remember back in like, the youth quake of Corbyn? Yeah. But you have a look at the same people now and track them. Yeah. You know, they're watching us. Yeah. They're a part our, of our, our audience. Like how many former Corbynistas yeah. are now, you know, on our side of things? So the the analysis is always that they assume that just because somebody's left wing now, they'll yeah. always be left wing. Mm. But you know, it's the it's same as all, you know, it's the Peter Hitchens story. That, 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 that's that's a white pill. Uh, we 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 got a white pill out of this. And the the other white pill that I'll throw in at the end of this is is how people meet. It is still overwhelmingly people meet in person. So it's not the apps. So I, I I guess if I if I'm going to end up with any sort of message on this is is probably get off the apps and just go to the pub. Yeah, go go to the pubster. Well, there's no zoomers in the pubs anymore, but they're, they're, you you got to find a way to yeah, interact with people in real life. Go, go to the pub. You know, you're just going to yeah. have to do it. You know, you're just going to you got no real choice. Yeah, have fun. Right, Nima, over to you. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we roll the video? Do I? Uh, well, do you want to do a couple of plugs? Will you? Oh yeah, I mean I I can uh, yeah I can t- tell people again you should buy. Prophets of Doom. Yeah, uh, sure, it'll be a, another best-selling book. The, yeah, um, you can also buy uh, courses at the academic agency. I mean, the academy now, as it stands, the actual universities, increasingly they're they're teaching people what to think and yes. not how to think. And all of my courses, especially if you do the trivium, you know how to write, how to how to how to think using logic and reason and evidence, mm. how to construct an argument through clear writing yeah. and then the the third course which is foundations of rhetoric the third part of the trivium yes. uh goes right back to aristotle mm. and um establishes you know all of the tricks they used to use you know the sophists and all of that yeah um, well, it was considered a form of magic but then it brings it right up to date with people like jonathan Haidt and daniel kahneman and but the, the trivium used to be fundamental. Yeah, the that backbone of a classical education. People did the trivium for hundreds of years. In fact, they were still doing it um, up until about the 1950s. Hmm. And what shocked, I, one of the things I found when I was writing the trivium is that a lot of the textbooks were from the Victorian era, hmm. and they expected 12-year-old kids to know this stuff. Yeah. 
right? So, I mean, if you're ambitious, you get this for your 12-year-old. And, you know, if you want to talk about progress and decline, if your 12-year-old can do my trivium, yeah. you know, they're up to speed with where like a kind of public school boy from uh, 1912 would be or something yeah. like that. So, uh, yeah, I tried to, you know, obviously I need to make a living. So uh, <laughs> and this is the main way I do it. But um, also like of the thousands of people now who've done these courses, it's, it's helping basically fill in what our education system is not doing it, or not doing for yeah. us. And I have known people, funny enough, about the dating thing. Mm. Somebody did the trivium, Foundations of Writing in particular, and it said it helped me get a girl because she wrote to him and said, it's refreshing that somebody was writing in full sentences. So he, <laughs> he actually pulled. Well, I'm, I'm not going to go into that. Zuma saved. <laughs> One I mean, I'm time. just saying that, you know. Um, but yes. more, more likely, yeah. if you're at university yeah. or something, if you're a student, it should help you at least, at the very least, state yes. your essays, you know. With, with an outside uh, chance of tail. Uh, with, a, with, a, with a very distant outside <laughs> chance of tail as well. Yeah. One confirmed case is good enough. <laughs> okay. Right. Can we, uh, can we get to the video then, please, John? Oh, oh yeah. By Prophets of Doom as well. Yes. When is it out? Is it out? I think that is out um, at the end of the 5th of September, which is next week. Okay. So if you put in a pre, pre-order now to Amazon or you, you okay. buy it there, you should get it through the... I mean, some people have, I think, already started receiving their copy. So okay. it's kind of out, basically. I just uh, want to say, one thing I really like about Evola is he looks like an actual vampire. Uh, you know, what's funny is that I got this... Uh, when I got my author copies, uh, my wife picked up this book and she looked at them. She <laughs> was like, what, what is this? Is this like a tea party from hell? Or <laughs> <laughs> and I said to her, who, out of all of them, who would you go for a tea party? You know, who would you invite yeah. over? And she ended up saying Toynbee because he just kind of looks like a... a little old English gentleman. Uh, like, and that's what he was. He was a little old English It wouldn't be quite Lyle, would it? Yeah. You know, look at Evola and Speng. Speng. Yeah. Look like actual monsters from <laughs> Frankenstein and Dracula. Yeah, literally. <laughs> yeah, li- literally. <laughs> But, uh, anyway, right, let's, yeah. get, let's get to the let's have a look at the video. We have decided to invite the Argentine Republic, the Arab Republic of Egypt, the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, the Islamic Republic of Iran, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates. To become full members of BRICS, the membership will take effect from the 1st of January 2024. It's official. The world has changed forever. A new conservative age has officially arrived. And it happened officially just now at the BRICS summit. Hey, gang, it's me, Dr. Steve, your patron so, professor, hey, here to help you can... think better so you can feel better in these crazy and turbulent so, times. So if you haven't already done so, you know what to do. So make the, sure the, the to smack that yep. bell and subscribe button. Also, make sure to share John, this video with friends and family. We are once again, unfortunately, being throttled by big I tech, so I need it. your help <laughs> to get the... Oh, there we go. There we go. Right. So, so, so the BRICS, it, it was a grouping of Brazil, yeah. Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Mm-hmm. And they have just announced that they're taking on Argentina, Egypt, Ethiopia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. So basically, a, a lot of oil has just moved into this block. So as I, as I understand it, this is kind of um, a, an economic block in particular to set up a sort of what a new currency or something? A, well, that, I think that's a sub-project of it, right. but 
No, I mean, they, they're just going to, they, they cooperate with, with each other in a trade partnership. Um, but what's very clear about this is that, of course, it's China and Russia. India's got a population of a billion people yep. plus. Uh, South Africa is a huge market. But I can't help but notice that what this is, is a massive uh, block of non-Western countries. Yes. Non-American. Yeah. No Europe. And this, I guess there's two things. First, this is a huge development. Yeah. It's, yes. it's a complete realignment of the world order because India and South Africa in particular are, are meant to be our allies. They're meant to be allies of the West. Yeah. Right. Um, well, Saudi Arabia is meant to be the, the sort of the satrapy of the US that their whole currency system is based on. And, and Saudi Arabia has been yeah. playing exactly this role up until very recently. Yeah, when they're and now they're going into bed with Iran, Saudi Arabia. Who else was it there? Argentina, yep. Egypt, Ethiopia. Um, so, so, the, so this is huge because yeah. this oh, yeah. is like, I mean, ooh, Putin is isolated in the world. I mean, yeah, he he he's isolated. With nothing but all of the world's resources and population, <laughs> right? So yeah. this is yeah. a like a major L for yeah. the global American empire, as we call yeah. it. Um, that's one part of it. The second part of it, though, is how do we, as people who generally oppose what we call the regime, pass this? Mm. And the reason I wanted to bring up Dr. Steve Turley here, who's a great the, guy, the, the venerable. Um, yeah, he's a great guy. I like he's. Pro He's probably my favorite YouTube channel. I genuinely yeah. it gives me joy. To watch I, I love, I love the energy because yeah. he, like I'm kind of quite realist and a bit downbeat sometimes. Mm. He's just so optimistic about everything. It is the unstoppable kind of, rise of a new. Yeah, it's unstoppable. Yeah. And he makes you feel good. You know, it's dopamine. <laughs> yes. Um, but he does sometimes. He wants to see everything in a lens of the woke versus the conservatives, which is a very kind of like U.S. culture war, mm. unstoppable conservative progress uh, trends. Yeah, right and. One of the things I worry about is that using that lens, it can almost kind of trip you into siding with people who I'm may not, not may not have our best interests at heart. Mm. Right now, the Communist Party of China, Vladimir <laughs> Putin, yes. the Islamic Republic of Iran, yeah. um, like this is the this is the new based. He's basically just looked at it and said the that the Western globalist elite is my enemy, and then he's gone. The enemy of the enemy is my friend. Yeah. China is my friend. Now, now one of the one of the uh, things that is interesting, in fact, one of the speakers uh, at the event mentioned this as well, mm. um, is that if you have a look at the sort of things they're saying in this block, the BRICS countries, especially when the Niger thing happened, but also more recently. A lot of their rhetoric is actually quite anti-Western. Hmm. And it's not just, oh, we don't like your woke values. It is a complete rejection of the idea of, um, you know, it's anti-colonial. It's third-worldist. It's kind of, it's our time now, and Europe, it's old, and it's over, and it's done. But it's, it's not right? an, it's not anti-Western people. It's anti-Western modes of thinking and governing. and but, yeah, yeah, and also anti-Western influence around the world, okay? Now... The thing is, is that if you have a look at the sort of things they're saying, it's actually not a million miles away from the sort of stuff that Ash Sakar would say or the sort of stuff that a yeah. critical race yeah. theorist would say. And so you have a very strange scenario where our, our internal enemy, if you want to put it that way, mm. and our external enemy are saying the same thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're both basically Marxists. 
So and 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 also like they're against each other, which is an odd part of this. But it's we who are kind of we have to remember, I think, that even though the internal the external enemy are the same are against our internal enemy, they think the same sort of things. Mm. And I think it, you know, some people get a bit carried away with my based Putin, you know, yeah, that's and, what I'm saying. And there, there, there are a lot of people who do this because Putin, I think, is very savvy. Uh, I mean, what, like, so I don't support Russia or Vladimir Putin, blah, blah, blah. I've got no interest in Russia. I've never been there and I don't care about it. But uh, there's no question that Putin is an effective ruler. And he, one of the ways in which he's effective is in his rhetoric. He knows that the West will hear when he says, I'm not going to let you transition children in Russia. Like he, we, he knows we hear that, and he knows that the MAGA base, the, the conservatives, are just like, oh, well, I agree with that. And so it creates a kind of fracture within our own he, He's basically the only cultural conservative world leader. Yeah, he is. Apart from well, I mean, one or two, yeah. The, 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 the one that's especially vocal and speaks in a way that we understand. I, I mean, I, I've been reading a lot of stuff written around the time or just after World War II recently by many different writers, guys who served in the military, yeah. uh, American and British. And I think one of the things that we've lost over time is the idea of thinking as Europeans or as, as British people um, as against the interests of America on the one hand and as Russia on the other. Mm. And at that time, it was very common to see Europe caught between essentially two enemies that didn't really have the best interests of the people in mind mm. who had a similar anti-colonial, anti-European mm. thesis. And it's kind of interesting how this dynamic has reared its head again. And uh, I guess the reason I'm bringing this up in this way is that I think uh, sooner or later we're going to have to start thinking like, well, if this American ship is going to go down, are we going to let them take us down with them, or do we want to start standing on our own feet again and thinking of our interests again? Britain joins the BRICS. Uh, not Britain. Just, not not. I mean, it's not like oh, we join the Russians or yeah, we join. It's how do we get a sense of entering world history ourselves again? Mm. Because there's an argument to say that after World War II, Europe has taken a time out. We've oh. been. We've not been. I mean, I remember the neocon thesis. They talked about. Europe living in a postmodern paradise, yeah. but America has to be in the world of power. Well, we, we, we've been there, but, but on the US's leash. So we, we have reliably backed, so, so Britain I'm talking about particularly, we, we reliably backed them up for you know, whichever war they wanted to do. So we, ha we have sort of been there, but not, we, we just haven't been. Not only that, the, the, we, we've also towed our weight as well. Like one of the 2% you know, GDP on the military, and things like that. But we've actually been a very reliable partner in this. This is, it's, is it partner or is it cheerleading? Well, uh, very, very reliable satrapy. Mm. Right. We, we, we've like, um, you know, we're, we're, we're somewhere that if, if this was the Roman Empire, like uh, sort of Spain was always very reliable on raising levies right, for the army. Mm. Right? You, could always, you could always raise men in Spain. Uh, you know, we're, we're that kind of place where it's, we're pro the empire. Mm -hmm. And I guess the question is, at what point do Europeans start saying, being part of this empire is starting to suck? Well, um, since the Americans just screwed them royally with yeah, I mean, their actions towards Russia, I mean, they, I mean, they surely Nord are looking at this and going, well, hang on a second. Nord Stream, I mean, it's, just, yeah. it's naked at this point. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. So I'm all I'm saying is, is that 
it's kind of this frame almost obscures what I'm trying to say here, which is that actually you need to see this as two different powers who are both trying to screw you in different ways. And we have to think like, some point well, we need need to stand well, on our own. Th- th- this is this is the old um, classic Henry Kissinger quote, isn't it? That it is it is dangerous to be an enemy of the U.S., but it's fatal to be a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and and America will always betray its uh, betray its friends. And you know we, we have been in there so close and so tight. Our our moment of betrayal probably hasn't come yet, but it will. Well, who who was it? It was from like Cecil Rhodes or someone who was just like England doesn't have friends or enemies, any interests. That's what the world hegemon has. And, and, this, yes. well, and this is part of the issue, is because unlike the British Empire, which, yes, it did have its civilizing mission and so on, but at base it was pretty practical and it was pragmatic in the way it went about things. The American Empire has always um, it's been increasingly ideological. Why are these countries turning towards China and the Chinese sphere of influence? And it's because, a country, I mean, in the case of Iran, Right, the Americans have just said, "If you trade with them, we'll boycott you." You trade with, you know. Oh, it's been way worse. I mean, it's been well. it's it's kind of but Hillary Clinton has always been let's invade Iran. Yeah. So on the on the Iranian side, it's just like yeah, we anyone they have no other choice but to go with it. But if you think of some of these other these other countries there, they don't want. It's like oh yeah, we'll trade with you, but also it comes with all of these conditions attached, mm. you know. Uh, Tony Blair right. will come in and help build a school, but it has to be a feminist school, and you have to yeah. have gay rights and all this sort of stuff. So this part of the analysis of Turley is actually true. That yeah. this is why this block is growing, not because the Russians and the Chinese are—they're—they're um, they're basically just going to say, "You give us oil, we'll give you stuff." Yes, and it doesn't come. And, and, you, with... and we, we don't need to give you a lecture. We don't need to. Can we? Can we call up the image of the, the Droid Floyd, uh, Floyd thing? I mean, this is the. Yeah. This, this is the sort of the key Sorry, example. John, oh, I'll let you do it, John. It's, uh, it, it's on the end. But, you know, the, America goes out. It it, um, it spreads democracy by the bullet and the bomb. Yeah, the George Floyd um, mural in Africa. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the last one, John. Um, no, it's not. <laughs> oh, okay. But, uh, yeah, ba- basically, we, we yeah, have... you've, you've, got, you've got to push the agenda. You've got to put up the pride flag. You've got to have a, uh, a, a, an image of, of Droid Floyd, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, put on your wall. And this, and this, this is in Kabul. This is one of the first things that the Taliban painted over as well. Yeah. I mean, what, I mean it means nothing to yeah. people of I mean, Afghanistan. That guy walking under, what does he, what, why is there an African man with I can't breathe on my wall? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm afraid to say the more America becomes identified with, you know, Lizzo and George Floyd and social justice and pride, mm-hmm. which have become symbols of the American empire, mm-hmm. the more countries are just going to turn away because they don't want to be told and what China is doing, which is different from the first, because they're calling this Cold War II, what China is doing that is different from what the Soviet Union used to do is they're not trying to spread communism. Mm. They're not trying to say, we trade with you and it comes at the price of, you know, you have to mm. uh, put the hammer and sickle up. They're just, they're purely doing it on this pragmatic mm. basis, much well, well, like old-fashioned British. What, what they're yeah, doing is, is useful stuff. Would you like an airport? Would you like, a, well, you know, would you like something yeah, else? Would you like a dollar-denominated loan? Yeah. Oh, by the way, if you if you don't pay back the dollar denominated loan, well, we're going to have that those oil reserves or that bauxite mine or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and they've yeah. done that around the world as well. I mean, I think that was it Sri Lanka or where basically if you default, if you, it's just like okay, that land's mine now, hmm. yeah. and this is now Chinese territory, yeah. 
and uh, they've done that all well, over. Well, that, that's, all Aust- over that's Australia, let alone let alone all, Sri Lanka, all, all across the sort of Indian Ocean. That sort of, I mean, literally the Belt and Road thing is a bunch of like deep water harbors and things like that. They're all connecting together. I watched a video on it the other day. I was like, Jesus Christ, how's America let this happen? It, the other thing the Chinese will do, which is very interesting, is that um, you know America, they'll go to a place like Iraq. They'll say, oh. It's very important that we're not seen as conquerors. Uh, we're going to establish a liberal democracy here, and it has to be Iraqi. And then they actually mean it. They, 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 like, they actually do it that way. Whereas the Chinese, they'll sign a deal, and they'll be like, oh, we're going to build, a, we're going to build something here. We're going to build infrastructure. And they won't, they won't hire local contractors. No, they ship them in. They, they literally bring the entire workforce, all Chinese. Uh, in fact, my, my dad told me about this when they were... Even in even in Wales, when they were taking apart a uh, an old uh, 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 plant that was there, mm. they literally came in a in a shipping container, stayed in the like stayed in the container, didn't see anyone, and took all the stuff back bit by bit, mm-hmm. cleaned it up, took it bit by bit, and literally shipped it all back to China. Um, so they keep it in they kind of keep it in house mm. as an old fashioned, almost extractive colonial empire if you want to put it that way um but in a way that works i mean it's worked all through history so why wouldn't they do it should we go back to steve turley um or do we need oh. well i think the point is basically made here that yeah. um uh i mean you can watch the video in your own time but the, the basic point is made that you see i think it's very easy for people on our side to get a bit too caught up in all of this and end up almost making the third worldist point on their behalf yeah. And one of the, I mean, for example, later on in this video, one of the people he cites is also a chap who goes on a channel I watch a lot called the Duran, mm. called Jackson Hinkle. You have a look at Jackson Hinkle. He's basically a old-fashioned Marxist. Mm. You know, he he devoted for he's Corbyn. a George Galloway type or a Galloway type. Yeah. And this is the danger when it comes to Geopol because you you end up inadvertently advancing an enemy's agenda as opposed to something that would be beneficial to it. Because ultimately what we want to do is we want to help the people out in that high street we just saw. Yeah, yeah. Not, you know, what they're planning in Beijing or something, you know. Yeah. But, but, but we, we don't have a presence in this fight. You know, we have been so thoroughly um, subjugated. The, well, you know, we, we are dissidents effectively. So, you know, there, there, there is no one else um, that you can sort of throw your weight behind if you're looking to to talk about geopolitical actions. Yeah, who would you say, who do you feel represents you? And the answer is nobody. Yeah. Nobody represents you. I mean, I, I like that Putin is um, advocating a, um, a, a, the, the interests of his people, well, but, yeah, but they're not my people. But I would expect him too, but like, yes. why can't, well, but I, why can't I we have that? Yeah. yeah. Why can't we have one of our national leaders? I, I think it's worth saying as well that, you know, if you remember, Brexit was meant to be about making Britain sovereign again. Yeah. Okay. But sovereignty is basically the power to determine whether you enter wars or not, whether you choose your own course or not. And it's decision making power. You don't yeah. always have a choice whether you're going to enter a war. But but you understand what I'm saying, right? If Rishi Sunak decided, actually, we're going to diverge massively from the State Department in Washington, just as he was installed. He will be removed if that happened. I don't think and, the idea would ever cross his mind. I, of course, because you know he's he's yeah. a safe pair of hands as far as the, they're concerned when it comes to that. And I, I think that is something that you know just because Brexit happened doesn't mean that fight is 
is necessarily one yet because actual sovereignty means the ability to determine the course of your own nation's destiny. And uh, as the situation worsens, I think people around Europe can start thinking like this more and more um, as, a, as an inevitable. You mean, really, this is the truth, the true meaning of the AFD in Germany, for example, or Le Pen, or, mm. you know, uh, I hesitate yeah. to say Maloney, Salvini, certainly in Italy, you know, is... is but, but, but effectively what you're saying is, is the, the further fung satrapies have already begun this program. So the Saudi Arabia and, you know, the India, they, they, they have already got off the bandwagon. The frontiers have started to fall away. And you were talking in about Roman this earlier on, Carl. Yeah. In, you know, when an empire starts to fall apart, it's always the frontier that goes first. Mm. Um, um, but we're talking about... Ma- like, major provinces just start breaking away. And I mean, Saudis joining this is just, if I were the Americans, I'd like, how have we let this happen? Well, that is a major, major. We, we were the thing that propped up the Saudi monarchy for what, like 80 years or something. How, is, how can they feel confident enough to defect from us? I tell you, I mean, I hate to bring this back to like low personal politics, but Donald Trump, right? When he yeah. got on the blower, he was as old fashioned salesman and he built up a rapport mm. and he got to know guys, mm. right? Joe Biden berates them, right? What's his name? Well, Joe uh, Bi- M- Joe- MBS. Yeah, Joe Biden wouldn't even shake his hand. He, Joe Biden personally insulted MBS, and he's not forgotten that. And this is just old-fashioned diplomacy. Well, do you know? Rem- you know? Do you know? Remember, like six months ago, Biden tried to have a call with the uh, the, king, the Saudi king, and he refused him. You don't do that. Of course, he's been. You rude. don't do that. The emperor has just arrived. You put on a full procession for him. And, nope, not today. And there you go. Anyway, let's, uh, do we have video comments today, John? Society depends on young men who are willing to die for it, and young men are willing to die for a, women, basically. But it's a certain type of woman, and it's not some woman who shakes your butt around and pleasures them sexually. Strangely enough, uh, men universally want to die for their mom, uh, past, present, or future. They'll die for future moms. They'll die for past moms. They'll die for present moms. Women and children first. Uh, and the thing is, when men ask women to submit, it's so that those women are worth defending. And we're just trying to make them submit so that they become good moms. It's kind of wholesome. And feminism turned it into this ugly thing. We just want you all to be good moms. You know, it's nice. It's wholesome. So I think that fundamentally he is right. Men die for mums. That's absolutely and obviously true. The problem, I think, is the American Christian messaging of submit. The wrong messaging. Um, I mean, have you got a better word to hand? Not particularly. No, I don't either. But I, 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 I mean, you, you know, obviously correct. But just if I had ever said the word "submit" to my wife, I think I'd be, I'd, I'd well, be that, that, that's doghouse a bit around, for a few days. Yeah, and yeah. I, 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 I just would not. I know the, yeah. the trouble that's going to cause me domestically, and I just wouldn't want to. I mean, I, I do say that to my wife, but I, I'm not the model for. But how you should run these things. Sure. But, you know, and, and my wife is like actually the trad wife. You right. know, she's a stay at home mother with four kids and I do the work. She does the house and, you know, and there's no way I'm going to use the word submit her because she, <laughs> it'd be not worth my time. What about your wife? The, the, <laughs> the thing, the thing is about this is that I, I always think that, I mean, I mean, we mentioned Tay till you're on what, what you see a lot in that sort of space is a kind of pastiche. It's like the kind of, it's almost like the feminist critique of the fo- toxic masculinity come to life. Mm. 
if you actually have a look at genuinely patriarchal societies like you know victorian britain or whatever it was all built around consideration oh yeah and being the gentleman and actually kind of giving way as a as a, as a kind of form yeah. of control and authority and so yeah it was a sort of deference that verged on veneration oh yeah the, the, i remember reading a book a while ago that victorian men were morally obligated to stand up when a lady entered the room right and and then it came with and it came with all sorts of all sorts of um so for example there's a meet like if you have a look at some of the conversations on twitter that go on now mm. you know supposedly trad men are always going on about oh well, body count body count yeah. in um in victorian britain a woman was held up to be so moral and chaste that you'd never even dare accuse her of even if she had cheated on her husband you wouldn't even dare say it because it was you know you you the de facto assumption was that she was chaste. Hmm. There's, a, there's an extremely good book about this uh, called Sex and Deviance by Guillaume Fay that says the important thing is holding up these sorts of ideals, even if the truth of them wasn't real. Is, is this the one that includes? Is know? this the one that includes the immortal going to France? It, well, he's a French guy. He's a, he's a French. No, it's not it, what I was referring to. But... Yes, yes, going to France, right. where where uh, I mean, young it, men would be initiated. Yes, uh, so this whole idea that you should uh, keep your virginity before marriage, but actually in France, you know, an old aunt would take a guy aside and be like, you know, you know, show him the ropes before the, before the wedding type thing. And these things went on in, you know, a much more Christian time, let's just say. Mm -hmm. His point is, is that it's the kind of fictions that people believe are important, and then you kind of bake in the hypocrisies because it's impossible to live up to them, right? Mm. Um, whereas uh, that is that is, I mean, I don't think any of the the kind of faux trads that we see on Twitter really understand this sort of thing. No. It's, it's very much a simulacrum. It's an aesthetic. They're not living the they're not living the authentic life. And and this this is why, like a word like submit, I'm living an authentic trad life, and I'm thinking there's no way my wife would just feel very disrespected if I said that because it she's not an inferior in our relationship she's got a huge amount of responsibility like right now i am relying on her to take responsibility for all of my children and the household and the household bills and like on a monday she gets the weekly shopping she's doing all that she's got responsibilities so the word submit is not the right word you know cooperate would be a much better word to be honest yeah but I, I, I do think people have to understand that division of labor is such a thing but like it's quite hard to look after a kid. I mean, I, oh, like yeah, after yeah. after I finish up today, yeah. you know, my my wife it's yeah. summer holidays at the moment. Yeah. That means there's no nursery. Yeah. So my little one has been like my wife has been with a little one twenty four seven. That's hard going. Mm. So now, my wife's right when I <laughs> so when I go back, yeah. basically, even though I'm tired, I'm going to have to help. Yeah, kind of yep. do my bit there. To let her kind of Young, younger people without children will have no idea what we're talking about. But yeah. trust us, when you when you get to that point, you'll realize the work. The, 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 I, I can see it in my own wife when, like, for example, when I got home yesterday, I can see that she's just spent too much time with the children in the last weekend because yeah. I was away. So I'm, I'm going to have to do the same thing tomorrow. Actually, I think. And that, and that's the, and that, that is the kind of yeah. the um because I think I think for these young guys who are like oh well. It's all. It's very important. No sex before marriage, and the marriage is important. Marriage, marriage, marriage. But actually, what does it take to keep a marriage good? But what does it take? What is the work of having a family? And I, I think that the best thing that 
um, so-called trads could do, we'd actually give practical advice. We, we've got a, a buddy, uh, Radical Liberation in America. Yes. He's got eight kids and they homeschool them. They give practical advice on how they do that. I, 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 that, I, I, that stuff is way more. I, I, I like people in our sphere, but he is the one that I admire. Yeah. Yeah. Should we do the next one? Yep. Pope Carl and others griping that uh, Joaquin Phoenix is too old in the Napoleon movie. And this is correct, but given our current crop of young actors, that would mean we'd have to have Ezra Miller play him. And that's <laughs> awful. Suppose they could just do what they did in the 90s and replace all the actors of dogs like they did with Charles Darnay in the truly best adaption of The Tale of Two Cities, Wishbone Edition. Given the current writer's strikes, you could probably replace a lot of those positions and you not lose much quality. So, I mean, you, you make a very strong point. And my my complaint about Joaquin Phoenix being, he's, I think he's 48. And I think when Napoleon uh, escaped from Elba, I think he was 46. So if he's going to be telling the life of Napoleon uh, with a 48-year-old actor, he is obviously too old and will appear too old, but I mean, maybe they can digitally de-age him or something like that, right? But um, but I think it's a very strong point you make. Um, modern actors are terrible, and Joaquin Phoenix is a previous generation of actor who actually at least has some talent. And I mean, at least I think he will be a good Napoleon. I think he'll do a good job. And actually, it's quite an exciting film, actually. I've not, you know, was it Ridley Scott? Was it? Yeah, I mean, that's my biggest question: is why is this film being made at all? Yeah, what well, is the reason behind it? Oh, yeah, but again, of all people, Napoleon, yeah. right now, mm. very interesting. Um, but right, let's uh, let's go through a few written comments before we have to sign off. Uh, Generico says, "Welcome to the Lotus Seaters AA. Seeing you here is like watching the Avengers team up for the first time. You think that's a little bit cringe? I'll remind you that we have a Dark Lord and his forces to defeat." Fair enough. Uh, Sophie says, wow, academic agent. I, uh, this is amazing. I had no idea what you looked like or what you were called. But you open your mouth and I can recognize your voice. Uh, look at you. You look like a proper Italian mob boss. Uh, so it's <laughs> nice seeing you on the podcast. I'm looking forward to the conversation. I haven't got my cigars on me in a minute. No, no, no. <laughs> and uh, I absolutely think you are cool, AA. Uh, so when I'm, not, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. When your daughter says no, you're, you're not, not cool, <laughs> I'm like, well, <laughs> well, this guy thinks I'm cool. Uh, uh Richard says the satanic Tony Blair institutional evil never, never dies, just propagates and gets funding from rich donors. Uh, Andrew says, I remember not even a decade ago when I was in university, actions like those Tony Blair has undertaken in Africa were textbook examples of neo-colonialism and decried with the utmost vigor by academics. Mm. Well, yeah. Uh, Omar says the absolute audacity with which they claim they want Britain to thrive. They will never talk about conserving anything good because they hate Britain. The definition of Britain is the London, London bubble of political elite facilitated by a myriad of exotic serfs. Who's going who's gonna to pour a prat? Uh, their definition of thrive is GDP line go up because their standard of living will never be affected. So many solutions to problems that never needed fixing or wouldn't exist without government failures. Dark Lord is far too polite a description of this creature. Omar's comments are always really good. Mm. Um, uh, when it comes to uh, your segment, uh, Lord Nerevar says, as a single young man in the modern dating culture, I can advise anyone in a happy relationship to nurture and cherish it like your life depends on it. It's not fun yeah. out here, bros. Now, th this, this is a, a problem that I, I do hear from a lot of young men. That look, I can go to a bar, but the kind of woman that I will meet is not the kind of woman I want to marry. Yeah, so, so, so my, my, um, my week of thinking about this and, and looking what's available and out there, I'm thinking of taking out key man insurance on the wife. Because, you know, I'd 
yeah, wouldn't wouldn't want to be without at this point. I mean, yeah. as as long as the as long as the policy was new for old, mm. um, it would have to have that in there. I'm not I'm not too fussy about the loner. I, mean, I don't know what I'd do if something happened to my wife. Yeah. Uh, Rose says, join a club so you and whoever you meet will have a common interest. I met my husband at a libertarian convention. Hmm. That's probably reasonable. Yeah. Um, Le French only swipes left. There's a chap called the Le French, and he always changes his name depending on the subject we're talking about. Uh, as someone who has worked in multiple dating app companies and have seen normal-looking men successfully get laid repeatedly, I can say that the success rate varies wildly between apps. But there's two types of men who stand out. Those who are built well, the top 10%, and those who party a lot and get women the lure of free alcohol. So interestingly, our lovely Lotus lady did point out that when she was looking through these profiles and what she was most shocked about is the feminization of the men on them. Really? Because she kind of split it down into there's um, the gym bros, hmm. the old guys who just don't have a clue how this bloody thing works, and then the, then the no-hopers. Yeah. But consistent, well, the, the old guys, um, well, most of the time they didn't fill out the profile bit at all, but, the, but, the, but even the gym bros, the feminization in their language and their profile. It was things like, I'm looking out for my mental well-being and my, uh, you know, all of that kind of new age bollocks. And she, and she was looking through and say, oh, that was a good looking guy. Reading it, it's like, oh my God, no. Yeah, so you're one probably, I mean, how many hits did you get eventually at the end? Uh, oh, I stopped, stopped checking off. But I, I, I know it was about five or six by the following morning and then after that's, that. That's not bad in a day. Yeah, I suppose not. Like, you know, and it's probably not. just because your profile doesn't come across as effeminate. Yeah, if, nothing was, else. If, if anything, it was uncompromising. Yeah. It was like, yeah. nope, this is what I want. Yeah. One of the questions I've got is that what what about all those other things that conventionally have kind of got women, like for example, like uh, you know, being successful mm. or having a good career or having high status or you know, this is the kind of old trope of the. Mm. Of the like the little Hollywood director with Marilyn Monroe on yeah, his arm yeah. and things like that, you know. I mean, well, because there's one metric for women, and there are multiple metrics of success for men, right? Uh, and but, and this is why I'm, all of this is kind of <laughs> looks based, but in the real world, yeah. yeah. I, it, I mean, it's like you know another way of going about your profile is like, well, you know, I own over a hundred grand. But but this is this is I mean? something that's yeah. increasingly, as I point out, that's increasingly out of the reach of Zoomers because if you're an under thirty Zoomer, you probably don't have anything. Yes, and well, and this is one of the issues, I guess, is that, and it's actually something my wife has talked about, hmm. is that equality. It's not that young women don't want to get married, hmm. okay? It's that people want to get married to people their own age, right? Sometimes, um, a, a lot of the time, but of course, women also want to do the. They want to marry up. Yeah. So conventionally. There used to be like a ten-year age gap. If you go back, oh, but few, the, the, the silent generation, the boomers, yeah, yeah. If you go back a few, gen- no, no, the, like, the boomers started. They're the ones who started yeah. marrying at the same age, and like, but even I, with I them, it's totally common for there to be several years. But yeah, it the could silent be like a generation, seven or ten-year yeah. gap. Yeah, because if you're a guy in your mid-thirties, you've got everything together. You've already yeah. got yeah. a career. Yeah. You can afford to run a family. Well, and, um, and you're actually ready to do the set so down thing. You, so, you, like the 35 year old and the 25 year old, or the 30 year old and the 20 year old, for example. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, I think people think of things like that as being a bit strange. But of course, so but, I totally but, encourage it. But but, re, but really, that would be the solution to this because by the time yeah. somebody's in their mid 30s, mm-hmm. they should be looking at someone in their early, mm-hmm. like a girl in their early 20s, and he then could. Kind of, uh, I don't know, take care of her in the, in that sort he, of. He can uh, provide resources that re- she requires. I- I- exactly. Yeah. Yes. 
But uh, but I honestly, I'm I'm quite unashamed of that. It's marry a younger woman, chaps. Don't. And if if you're in your twenties, just just get to work, basically. Um, but right, we've got to end it there. So uh, Nima, Mr. Academic Agent, where can people find you if they want more? Well, I mean, a lot of people. I mean, my I am Nima Fabini, the author of this book. But um, a lot of people don't know that I am also Academic Agent on YouTube, and I am also OG Roland Rat on Twitter. Really, and I I know people got my books, watch my channel, and follow me on Twitter and don't know I'm all three people. But I am all three people. Is, is there any chance of um, an official profile? No. Twitter? I am an OG, a non on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and old tabits. I, I'm from the old forum days. So I'm never going to stop. I'm always going to have different names on different. Right, right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, and we will see you tomorrow. Take care, folks.